I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This six-part Working Scientist podcast series is sponsored by the University of Queensland. UQ research creates change right across the world every day. Hello and welcome to part five of this six-part series from Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast all about the postdoc. I'm Julie Gould. Over the last few months, I've spoken to 28 different people from around the world about what the postdoc is and the postdoc experience. All of these conversations have been very different, which is no surprise, given that everybody has had a different experience. But there has been a common thread amongst all of my conversations, which is that there is a lot of talk about changing the research system, the research culture, the academic research culture. So let's have a look at what the research system is at the moment. I've spoken to Anne-Marie Coriat, head of the UK and Europe Research Landscape from the UK-based research funder Welcome. She's been working really hard to try to understand what the current research system is and what aspects need changing, which is something that was heavily discussed in September 2020, when she led a conference organised by the Research on Research Institute called Reimagining the Postdoc Experience. And actually, in January 2020, Wellcome published its results from a survey they ran to try to find out what researchers think of the research culture. So when we think about the research system and we look at, you know, what it is that people are happy with and what they value, um, it's the creativity it's the ability to discover things for the first time. It's the ability to work at the cutting edge of knowledge. What we also know is that not everything is completely kind, constructive and conducive to encouraging and enabling people to be of their best. And we've known these things for decades in many ways. Concerns about supervisory structures and competence, concerns around transitions to careers that are outside of academia, concerns about the fact that what we like to do or what we tend to do is we count success as things that are easy to record. And so inadvertently, I think funders have contributed to hyper-competition, to the sort of status of the cult hero of an individual being you know the leader who gets all the accolade 
we inadvertently also, I think, have not necessarily um, supported adequately the way in which people develop their own skills and talents. And also we narrow, narrowly sort of look at a range of outputs when we're looking at, you know, how productive has someone been? The current COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated some, if not all, of these issues. And for postdocs, a particular challenge is living on short-term contracts. It makes for an unstable living situation, and many are worried about future job prospects. Mostafa Munir Sharaf, the chair of the Marie Curie Alumni Association, hears many stories from colleagues and from the Marie Curie alumni about the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic is having. One of the things that has happened over the last few months is that many researchers haven't been able to go to the lab and to set up key experiments and to collect data. Now, some funders have offered extensions to postdoc contracts, although sometimes these are non-funded. And this allows the postdocs to finish their projects. But this hasn't always worked well for everybody, says Mustafa when he tells me a story about a colleague whose supervisor hasn't supported them. University decided to extend all the contract, but if you need to extend the contract for COVID, if your supervisor asks, university will provide the money. But the supervisor does not want to extend the contract because he wants to use that money for something else. So this is a real example. This is happening everywhere. When Mustafa told me this, and granted, I don't know the whole story, it did seem rather unkind. So I asked him what he thought about that. Probably unkind isn't too soft, I would say. In, in time to time, it's cruel, the behaviour they have done to the postdocs, especially to the postdocs. Now, this got me thinking about kindness in academia on a bigger scale and whether or not there's enough of it. I spoke to Katie Wheat, who is the Head of Engagement and Policy at Vita UK, which is a charity that works hard to support the careers of early career researchers. She said that kindness comes in two flavours. I think kindness in academia can mean a lot of different things. I think collegiality is a big part of that, how you work with other people in a kind way, having patience, respect, they're all important elements. But that's thinking of kindness at the very individual level, how individuals are kind to each other or unkind to each other. And I think one of the factors of kindness in academia is thinking about how the system is kind what the systemic factors are that bring true unkindness or a perception of unkindness or potentially a perception of unfairness in the system. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with this because it's been well documented that academia is riddled with unfairness, with inequality. If you identify as a woman or you are disabled or you are a person of colour, you experience pay inequality, power inequality, service burden inequality. The list goes on. Jessica Malich is an assistant professor of psychology at St Mary's College of Maryland and she is also the director of the Office of Research in Epidemiology at her local health department. Now, whilst she was working from home over the last few months with her three kids, she somehow managed to find the time to pull together a group of women to help her write an opinion piece for PNAS about the inequalities within academia and how the pandemic has shone a light on them. And this article and many others that have been published on this topic are important now more than ever, exactly because the inequalities have been exacerbated by the pandemic. And Jessica says that in some ways this is actually a silver lining. It's increased the attention that the inequities are receiving. The downside are the catastrophic effects, right? Like there's research comes out daily that 
women are publishing less. They're applying for fewer grants. The amount of time they have to devote to work is significantly less than their male counterparts. There's plenty of evidence that this pandemic is affecting some groups much more than others. And so the bonus is that by highlighting that, what it's highlighted is that these inequities were always there and we weren't doing enough about them. And now that there's no margin for error anymore, that you can't lean in anymore, and now you're just not productive enough, is making it apparent that those inequities need to be addressed. And they should be addressed just for the fact that, you know, for ethical reasons, right? These aren't, it's not ethical to be inequitable. And we also know that diversity is a, is a bonus for academia. Like diverse groups do better research. They have better results. Academia does better with diversity. And so beyond, we should do it because it's better for academia. And it's also the ethically correct thing to do that you know, academia now really does have to look at how equitable the institution itself is. So I wanted to go back to this concept of kindness and I asked Jessica if she thought that maybe just a little bit more kindness might solve the bigger problem of the inequalities in academia. There's the same level, I think, of kindness among academics as there is in the world and could there be more kindness in the world? Probably. But then there's the issue of kindness and good intentions being looked at as a solution in academia to inequity and power imbalances. And that I think is an issue, right? Because we can't rely on kindness and good intentions to correct the systemic inequity in academia. Okay, so it might not solve all the problems within academia, but it might make a big difference to many people's lives, particularly to the postdoc community, who, due to the very nature of their career position, could really do with a more nurturing environment, says Anne-Marie Coriat from Welcome. If you're in an environment that is so tightly focused on working on the basis of sort of hyper-competition, short-term results delivery, not thinking about your personal development, not challenging you in a sort of constructive way to, you know, stretch yourself and think about ideas, giving you some freedom to explore and fail and, you know, come back, then actually that can be quite damaging in how you view your own capabilities. It can be quite damaging in terms of how you then think about research, either as a career or a set of skills and it can undermine your confidence in the products that come out of research. So kindness, I think, is a hugely important um, facet. And that, that is not the same as being unrigorous. Rigor is hugely important. Anne-Marie said this is a challenge because the incentives to make this happen aren't there. If you're looking after mentoring, supervising, guiding a postdoc, you have to remember that you have somebody's career in your hands again and surely what we ought to be trying to do is to enable that individual to be creative and to be their best the challenge with all of that is that the way we incentivize or we, we reward performance doesn't necessarily enable that kind of culture to be recognized we currently do very little about valuing leadership and management we do very little about valuing the way in which individuals go on to develop their careers where you know I, I think personally the best metric is are they still using their skills 
and do they still feel relatively positive about you know the training that they experienced we tend to cut to the quite cut to the chase and say are they still in research or industry tells you nothing about how it worked and how trusting they are of, of, of the system itself so i think it's alignment of incentives and it's actually funders publishers all the rest of it walking the talk as well as just saying saying these things this brings me back to what katie wheat from vitae was saying that kindness was at an individual level the problem is that unkindness often comes from the stresses that the research culture puts on the researchers themselves, particularly on those supporting the postdocs. If that individual is kind, and, and you know that, that concept of kindness can mean so many things, if that individual is facilitating opportunities, developing that person in their career, supportive, um, I think that um that has huge benefits so we've seen for example during the pandemic period that um researchers who who feel that their uh their manager or their supervisor is supportive is available for them they have better um indicators of well-being um than researchers who, who are not getting that support so i think that's one example of where um where postdocs can be in a scenario where they, they do need and rely on that support of somebody else. Um, and that person, that PI, might also be in a relatively precarious situation, reliant on grant income for their own uh, salary and for their team's salary. And so I think you can be in a scenario where the individualistic markers of success put everybody in a competitive situation against everybody else rather than a more collaborative and collegial situation where where one person's success is everybody's success. I've already mentioned that Anne-Marie Coriat from Wellcome has looked at the research culture from the perspective of the researchers in the hope that it'll help shape how changes are going to be made in the future. And one of the things that the research culture survey looked at was the mentoring relationship and how it affects the mentee. We hear very strongly from researchers that how they are managed makes the biggest difference to how they perceive themselves and they go on and look at their own careers. And when we're looking at leadership skills, if you ask um, academics whether or not they feel they're a good manager, the stats are quite um, interesting you've got 44% um, who value, who say that their institution value good management. You have 80% of researchers who say they have the confidence and the skills to manage a diverse team. And then you have only 48% saying they've received formal training. So there's a real mismatch. And I think it's those sorts of things about, you know, we put people in management positions. We don't necessarily treat it as a skill that needs to be developed. We don't value it. We don't recognize it. We don't reward it. I think that's one of the issues when we're thinking about how we support. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People to develop in their careers. This is actually echoed in the data that has come out of the first ever postdoc survey run by the Nature this year. And you can go and check it out on the nature.com website. So what can supervisors and those supporting postdocs do in order to create a kinder working environment for postdocs? I'm going to throw back a few years to 2017 when I actually spoke to two people for the Nature Careers podcast about supervisors and supervision. One of those conversations was in an episode called Meaningful Mentoring, which is still available online for you to listen to. The conversation was with Sasso Kochava. He's the founder and managing director of HFP Consulting. He coaches science researchers in leadership, communication and conflict management. And I just want to share a few minutes of our conversation with you about what he thinks it really means to be a supervisor in academia, which is also being a leader in academia. I think it's very important that supervisors learn to change their attitudes. This would be a change in the paradigm of how they see themselves as researchers and as leaders in research. People who lead research groups need to realize that their role is not only be an expert in science, but a leader of people who do science. So you need to devote more time on the human interaction and the people who are around you. They deserve that. They need you. They need your time, attention, support. And this is part of your job. Many PIs have not really understood that. There's a whole universe of young, talented, and motivated people who work in science but have never been properly trained how to deal with human interaction, how to deal with topics like conflict resolution, how to lead properly, how to delegate properly, how to manage time. So how can we help those supervisors learn to answer these questions? I don't know what to do with my career. I'm not sure science is the right thing for me. What should I do? Let's use that as an example. So what if someone approaches a supervisor with a question like that? What's, what's the first thing that they should do? So the most common mistake is you hear the question and immediately your brain connects this question to your life experience and to all the solutions that you have found in your life for how to handle specific challenges. And then you provide the solution. Before even understanding what the real worry or concern the student is. And this is why the listening is so important. The thing that PIs and supervisors do need to be careful of is then to not make assumptions. Assumptions are poisonous <laughs> because you assume something, you mix up your own experience, your own situation, your own drama that you went through with the challenges that the, the other person is facing. If you just assume, people will not feel that you really understand them. And what you want to develop is a trustful relationship. People need to feel that they are understood. So and this is why you should be very careful with assumptions, rather ask more questions and go deeper into the understanding of the situation so that the person who is listened to will feel, ah, okay, my, my boss really understands me. This is the precondition for people to feel safe, respected, connected. 
this is the precondition then also for, for them to relax and to de- be able to develop own solutions. You can listen to the rest of the episode to find out what Sasso says about building that trusting relationship. And the thing is, you have to build that trusting relationship from the very beginning. That is really important. So when you start a lab, it actually can be really daunting to become responsible for a group of people when you have just become a PI. It's a skill that many new PIs haven't actually been taught. And it's actually one of many skills, according to many of my interviews. So what can you do if you're in this position? So this actually brings me to the second interview from 2017, which was with Angela de Pass from Harvard University. If you've listened to any of my other podcasts for Nature Careers, you'll know that I'm a very strong advocate for the IDP or the Individual Development Plan. It is a fantastic tool that will help you take control of your own career development. Angela DePass told me in the episode called How to Start and Run a Lab that she used this tool from the very beginning in order to help develop a relationship with her postdocs, with her researchers in the lab to help them set their goals and to help them meet their career goals. But it actually also taught her a lot about herself and how she can improve as a mentor, as a supervisor. Here's a bit from our chat where she explains why she started using the IDP when she first set up her lab. We're not given a whole lot of leadership or management training as scientists. And so, well, as I got started thinking about how I was going to be responsible for this group of people, it was really important to me to understand how I was doing. And I felt like the people who were most qualified to give me that feedback were the people that I was leading. And so I really wanted to know, you know, how can I define my success as a mentor? Well, that's by getting people where they want to go. So how can I figure that out? I have to know where they want to go. And then they have to tell me how well we're doing getting them there. <laughs> and so that's actually the, the sort of ethos behind an individualized development plan. But I, I came from it from a very personal perspective of wanting to run my lab in an effective way. What, in your opinion, is the most valuable thing that you've learned about your own mentoring style from these IDPs? The most critical thing is that I'm much more collaborative than I ever realized in the sense that the collaborative aspect of science is a really critical part of it for me and that making a really good collaborative culture can come out of the exercise of doing an individualized development plan with everyone because it's by its definition sort of clarifying everyone's perspective. So we've heard that plans are afoot to improve the research culture. Welcome in the UK is trying to understand what people think about the current research system. And Katie Wheat from Vitae told me that Vitae UK actually published, actually republished the Concordat to support the career development of researchers in September 2019, which, when an institution signs up to it, will make sure that people are held accountable for the way they do science. And so will also mean they are held accountable for the environment in which the science is done. Now, on an individual level, if a little bit more kindness is added to the system, it could go a long way to making sure that these environments, these local environments, are just a little bit more pleasant to work in. And who doesn't enjoy working in a pleasant environment, right? 
Now, we've only got one more episode to go in this series, and I'll actually be going back to the question that I asked at the very beginning in the first episode, which was, what is a postdoc? And I'm going to try and answer it based on what I've learned along the way. We'll hear from Anne-Marie Coriat, from Jessica Malich, and from Christopher Hayter, and many others, about what the postdoc is. And whilst you're waiting to find out, why not check out the postdoc survey results and write-ups from Chris Walston on the Nature Careers website. You can find them at www.nature.com forward slash careers. Thanks for listening. This six-part Working Scientist podcast series is sponsored by the University of Queensland. UQ Research creates change right across the world every day. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.